0: last several weeks. I guess 13 of them now. We've been worshiping with the Israeli people, with the Hebrew people as they make their journey to Jerusalem, people who went on a camping trip. These are the songs for camping. The songs that you sing when your life is disrupted and uncomfortable, and having that experience reminds me again, you know, of what it is to have a cook fire instead of a stove. You know, the people who sang these songs, they didn't live in houses like you live in. And even David himself would have looked at your house and gone, what a nice place, man. You know, the Hebrew kings would have admired the average American house. They would have thought it was amazing. But they did live in houses. And they had regular cooking places that were comfortable. They didn't cook over fires. They cooked with fire. But they had these clay stoves that they cooked with. And that stove was a good, nice thing. They left that. They stepped out into the discomfort of leaving behind the bed that they knew that was comfortable and sleeping on the ground or maybe on a cot. They left a house that had a door you could just walk into and into a house that you had to set up every night after walking a couple of miles. i I tell you, as I was pulling down the tent this morning with Silas asleep in the truck, I I encountered just how rough this stuff is. They entered into disruption. Now, why did they do that? Why did God set it up? You realize it's an obedience to a commandment. Why did they do this? Because there are things that are more important than comfort. The development of our spiritual life will often call us into uncomfortable realities. You don't think so? Try to love your enemy. Give that a shot. If you enjoy that, then you're going to die soon because you don't belong here anymore. You belong in heaven. If, If the things of Jesus are simple and not uncomfortable for you, and they're uncomfortable for me, He calls us into this spiritual life of living outside of our patterns. And that's what these songs are about. It's interesting, if you walk your way through the Psalms of Ascent, it's amazing to me. I, this is my second time preaching through this. I preached this sermon series or at least on these passages. Totally different series. And I preached through these passages ten years ago. Much younger man. I had fewer scars. You know, and, and I'd run into less difficulties in like church, you know, and things. And so there are things standing out to me in this year, in 2018 that didn't stand out to me in uh, I guess it was 2007 or 8, And I'm noticing just how uncomfortable these songs really are over and over again. They lead us in an uncomfortable way. It's an uncomfortable journey, a journey where they leave home behind, but the prayers are uncomfortable prayers. The prayers of a, of a people who say, I am too influenced by my culture. What the world around me is saying to me is more important to me, God, than what You are saying to me. That's not. I'm not okay with that. And so I'm going to make this journey again. That's the, that's the very first of the Psalms of Ascent. The very next one focuses on the threat that surrounds me in the dangerous hills. It's amazing how often contempt comes up. The trouble of contempt. That's not a happy thing to think about. How often is contempt and the contempt of your enemies mentioned in the songbook? Why we didn't sing about it one time. There's two whole psalms that are dedicated to that in this series in their songbook. We don't like to think about our sins. That embarrassment is hard to deal with. But there's a psalm that leads us deep into that reality. That I am sinner, and if you don't forgive me, I'm doomed. This journey to Jerusalem is constantly confronting the interior person. And it's, it's putting you into a bed that you don't know, spiritually speaking. Into, into a, a tent instead of a house. God's invitation by Jesus to come follow me is the, that invitation into a, a harder way of living. And this practice was meant to be done three times a year. To sleep out in the cold three times a year. To sing these songs and to step into the disruption of my life over and over again. I'm not what I'm meant to be. My recreation is incomplete. There's still so much work to do. Over and over and over again. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, it's not boring. But I don't know that it's thrilling. Lately I've been looking into my own heart and realizing that, you know, I'm I'm younger than I ought to be in some ways. There are things about me that ought to be more mature than they are. I'm encountering things about myself that I wish were were better managed. You know that that given the right set of circumstances, I can get quite angry. I'm 46 years old. I ought to be a man of, of perpetual peace. Jesus was. What's, what's up with that? That's uncomfortable. When you step into that kind of reality, it's not fun. And honestly, this work through the Psalms of Ascent has been throwing it into my face over and over again. Still growth. You, don't, you aren't there yet. Keep working. Keep walking. Don't you wish you could quit? What kind of person volunteers for this kind of perpetual disappointment in the self? Because the way of discipleship is a way that looks at self and says, Jesus is better than me. Over and over and over again. Don't you know it burns out? Or it can How do we keep going? Well, how did they? It's the purpose of this week's psalm. The one that we just read together that Fred led us through. It's a psalm that's designed to settle you into the story that keeps you going. Where do I find my hope? When I'm so frustrated, well, it's certainly not in myself. If I put my hope in Ethan Brown, I will burn out really fast. Because Ethan Brown's a mess. And I, now, I may be better than some folks in this world, but trust me, I can see the inside. And I know that there's dirty laundry lying around. I know that there is a broken place in the foundation. I know there is so much work left to do. I put my hope in me. I'm not going to keep at this journey very long. How do I do it? I settle myself into the story. As the pilgrims approach Jerusalem, maybe their last night, this might be the last night of the journey, you realize there's just two more songs to sing. And those two songs could be sung as you're walking through the gates. As you're walking, you're made, you've made your way there. So at this point, you're encamped in the hills that surround Jerusalem. You can smell the fires, not of your cook fire, but the fire that's burning for your sins. The fire of the altar. You're that close. And after this long, weary, introspective journey of being tired and uncomfortable and inconvenienced, how do I keep doing this? How I, I gotta, this is early in the spring. got to Two more times I've got to walk into my soul. As I walk into the presence of God, how am I going to keep at it? So they settle themselves into the story. Every other psalm in the Psalms of Ascent deals with me right here, right now. They are written about our emotional processes and our responses to the challenges of life. The danger of the hills. Where do I look? i got to train my heart to look to God. If I try to protect myself, I might win some. I might lose some. I'll lose all of them because I'll lose my God. i got to protect myself by turning to my God. Self-protection is the way to self-destruction. Or, how would I do with all this contempt? I have to give it to God because if I respond to contempt with contempt, I will become every bit as evil as my enemy. All of these psalms focus on that kind of stuff until we get here. But when we get here, we enter into story. And that story is working for them by they remember where it is they're going. In, in verse uh, 6, it says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, and we found it in the fields of J.R. Heard of what? Found what? Let us go to His dwelling place. By the time they're singing this, by the time they're singing, let us go worship at His dwelling footstool they're looking at it they're looking from the high point over the city walls at the place where they're going the highest building in that city could be seen from everywhere they're looking at it and they're going that's where i'm headed and i heard of that when i was a long ways off and i'm headed there And what is that place the place to meet god and as they approach, as they get near, there, there's this hope. Oh God, I want to meet You there. So God, You go there too. Will I meet God when I finally get there? Why is there reason to hope? And not only that, but what hope does this place build in me? Because I've come to this place because it's, I'm, it's my hope to encounter God, but also, God is God of promises. And this place is in a way a kept promise. But it's also the promise. It's a place that reminds me that before this place could be built, a much better promise was made. A better place than a building. A promise for something so much more wonderful. And so this psalm reflects on the building of the temple. It opens up with, remember God. Remember David. And remember him, uh, remember, O oh Lord, in David's favor. What is the psalmist praying for there? What is he asking God? Well, in all likelihood, many of these psalms of ascent, if not all of them, are written after exile. And the journeys may or may not have been happening before exile. Certainly they're commanded before exile. But if you read through the history of God's people, law-keeping, thats yeah, a big deal. I mean, the law of Moses was given all the way back with Moses. And certainly the kings were expected to keep it. But you, you look through it and you don't see them really emphasizing law-keeping. You know when law-keeping became a big deal? When they lost everything else. When you're jerked out of the land and you lose the temple and you lose worship, the only thing you've got is a legal code to hold your people together. And so making those journeys, the exiles, when they returned, you better believe it they're making the journey. They're passionate about it. In fact, they would write songs about it. But if that's true, and if this song is written after exile, then when they're singing, remember, O Lord, in David's favor... Where's the Davidic king? There isn't one anymore. The kings that they suffer with are first Greek. You know, and, and then the Ptolemies and the Seleucids who were Greeks but they were fighting all the time. in such a mess. And then briefly the Maccabeans who are not Davidic. And then the Romans. Where's Davidic King. This psalm opens up with a hope for a promise that seems absent and empty, but going to a place where promises are kept. This psalm opens and remembers, God, I remember a story. If you want to read that that story, it's in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7. We're not going to read it this morning, but you can read that. And it's, it's talked about in this psalm. You read it. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not sleep or slumber with my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. That's David's ancient voice. David saying, I live in a house made out of cedar. But the Lord my God lives in a tent. I have a really nice place. And I'm looking down on God. This is not Okay. And the prophet says to him, Well, do whatever you want, man. That's a great idea. God's put that into your heart, you go do it. But then that night, God comes to the prophet and said, I didn't tell him to do that. And you get back in there and you tell him he's not the man. And in Chronicles, he even gives him a reason. You got blood on your hands, David? You've had to kill enemies. And if someone's going to build a temple for me, they can't have blood on their hands. They've got to be a person of peace. So. No, you establish the peace. The temple will get built later. But I tell you what you tell him. Prophet, Name you, you tell him this. He is not to build me a house, but I will build him one. And it's in this story that you get the promise of a king who will reign forever. An eternal king. Now, I don't know. I mean, we have presidents for four or eight years. But even if you took away term limits, we would have presidents for what? 30 years? 40 years? And then, you know, they would die. Right? If you go into places where they have kings or despots or dictators, they last 40 years? And then they die. And then they become really lousy kings. Right? You know, if they were to continue to rule after death, they, their rule would begin to stink. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> it's it's gross, but it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they'd, they'd just be bad at their job. How do you keep that promise? you got to have a king who can take care of death. They don't know it, but that's what they're singing in this psalm. They're singing about a resurrected king. This psalm focuses on Messiah, and it, it focuses on the place where they're going. And at the point that they're singing, Messiah hasn't come yet. Interestingly, when Jesus made these journeys, Messiah sang this song. How cool is that? But as they're headed there, they're headed to the temple, and they're headed to a place where God kept a promise, right? David had it in his heart to build the temple, and God promised, you won't, but another will. One of your kids will. And they go, and there's the kept promise. Flesh and blood right there. Well, stones and mortar. But it's right there. So they know they have a God who keeps promises. And so they're praying, God, you kept your promise. But the psalm opens with God, you need to be reminded of your promise because there's an unkept promise here. Because we are living without a king on David's throne. We are living without our Davidic King. But when He comes, oh, when He comes, then the priests will wear righteousness. Then you will clothe the priests in salvation. And the people who are meant to lead us to you will be saved people leading us into salvation. When He comes, oh, when He comes, you will feed the hungry with bread. And we know the story. He did exactly that, didn't He? The poor ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they picked up twelve baskets full by this man's hand. And folks, aren't the poor still eating at the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ as the church does its job? I mean, when the church does its job, the justice for everyone is secured by the church. It won't be secured by the world's governments. They're not going to get there because they don't love people. Governments don't love people. They can secure order. They don't bring about justice. That's your job. That's Messiah's job. Put it in their hands, they'll mess it up every time. But you put it in Christ's hands, it'll be filled up with love. And love secures justice for everyone. That's what Messiah brings. Well, they're praying looking forward to that great day. Because they live in a world where it's absent, where oppression is everywhere. This journey was dangerous as they made it. They traveled through the Greeks and they traveled through the Romans who could oppress them and mistreat them. They knew that. But they're looking forward to the salvation of God that will come with Messiah. And so they settle themselves into an ancient story that's filled with hope. This story of what I look at with my eyes, what I see around me right now, It's hard. And when I look into my own heart, what I see inside there, that's harder. I want to be a creature of heaven. I feel like that's what I'm designed to be, don't you? And I want to be in that place of perfect peace where no one raises sword against another, where guns are beaten into plowshares. I want to be in the real kingdom of God. Build it here. These people pray that kind of prayer because that's where they are. Hurting and longing for the Word of God to be fulfilled, for the promises to be realized. Do you realize you are in exactly those shoes? You have a kept promise and a promise that waits. Okay? Okay? Just as they were walking towards the temple, and they were praying in the light of that temple. Folks, what is sitting right here? I and mean, it's grape juice and bread. Those were not converted into the body and blood of the Lord, you know, but they we used them to encounter the body and blood of the Lord, didn't we? Promise absolutely kept. The Messiah they looked forward to, we look backward upon. We remember His great coming. And we remember the establishment of justice in His Word. That He loved the poor and leads us to love the poor. That He loved the downtrodden and leads us to love the downtrodden. That He loved sinners and leads us to love sinners. Thank God, because I'm one of those. He absolutely did everything they were looking for. Except, we still live in the broken world, don't we? See, Israel was not wrong to hope for a time when all of it would be abolished. The breaking of the universe done away with. They were not wrong to look forward to the time when the Lion and the Lamb could at last lay down together because creation was restored to its peaceable nature. They were not wrong to have the hopes of a renewed earth where thorn and thistle did not define the reality around us. The earth that didn't miscooperate with us, but cooperated entirely with us. Where people would not go hungry because the earth would feed them perfectly. They weren't wrong to look forward to that. But it isn't here yet. It's coming. And folks, I feel that we... for the last 2,000 years, have stood in the hills overlooking Jerusalem. That the promised land is in sight. That the great victory waits. And we may live our whole lives in this camped existence. Looking off into the reality. We may never get it here and now. If only there were some way we could still get it. And so Messiah was resurrected to promise that we will be too. And so we walk in the uncomfortable world reminded constantly never to get comfortable here. You're always camping here. Always camping here, looking for a better country where you will have a home. And you are always preparing here because citizens of heaven... Don't lie or cheat or steal. They don't act based on their hungers. They don't act based on their lusts. They don't mistreat one another. They don't carry grudges. They don't hate. But instead, they love and they're kind and they forgive. They welcome enemy and stranger and they bless. And so we step here as these people who are a mess, discomforted, so that we can learn the ways of Heaven. That's what the journey is for. And that's why so much of it is so uncomfortable. Lest we forget. Settle into our houses with our clay ovens and settle for so much less than what we were meant to be. You were called to be something that if you could see it, you would be very tempted to worship. You were made to be beautiful beyond compare. To be thoroughly free from regret and shame and to be entirely natural in every love, even the love of the enemy. We will get there. We stand now in the temple. Or sit. In our temple. For the, the church is the temple of God. And as the ancient temple was built just as God promised it, so this temple was built just as God promises. And as that temple looked forward to a promise that was not there yet, so we look forward to one. And that's what keeps us moving forward when it's hard. When we're exhausted. When we're weary. When we're sad. When we want to give up. What's coming is worth the journey. The beauty of Jesus Christ is worth camping for. And this is the way of life into which we are called. So we settle ourselves again and again into the story. Into the story of the crucified and resurrected Messiah. We settle ourselves into that so that we have its hopes. The people of Israel were an optimistic people. They were beaten down. They were broken. They were mistreated on every score. But they constantly thought Messiah is coming. There ought to be no more optimistic people than the church. We have the best story there is. Are you part of it? As you look into your life, is your, is your life governed mostly by the stuff of this world? Or are you driven on by hopes for things that this world can never offer? Are you setting your life's priorities by the things that the world around you prioritizes, or are you prioritizing love? and mercy, and hope, and peace. If you look into yourself, and you're know, like, you know I I need a better story. You have it. And as you pray it this week, settle your heart deep into the story of God. And maybe that you came to this place, that stuff that's Heavy on you that has absolutely nothing to do with what we've talked about. What we've talked about will give you an answer to that. But you may also need ministry and care. And if you do, the church wants to do it. This is a praying church and we want to pray for you. And if you need the prayers of the church, let us do it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, no better day than this one, is there? No better day than today. If you're subject this morning to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing? Are you